0: is this thing on this is artscape an investigation into the artistic and cultural landscape of our region with your hosts katie and harold for the next hour we are going to take a journey through sound and storytelling
1: this podcast is brought to you by CFUV 101.9 FM, located on the unceded territories of the Lekwungen and Wassanic peoples, created with the generous support from the BC Arts Council. Join, Join us as we uncover the, the people, happenings, and organizations
0: that make up the artscape in which we live. start um
1: with a tall glass of water
0: yeah hydration's important that's true so okay this episode that we're about to embark on is a journey that i've been on for a while
1: this episode explores the different mediums such as photography installation performance art and theater to talk about gender in a multitude of ways
0: I really feel like this episode encompasses all these disciplines that truly interest me and I feel super super honored to be able to amplify these voices through Artscape this exciting medium of podcasting I mean we kind of talked about that in, in media art full disclosure Herald, full on. So, I guess it's no secret, I was born a woman. (laughs) But, I uh, identify more on the non-binary gender fluid spectrum. I think it's an aspect of wanting to be and live more fluidly. You know, there's it's basically an aspect of for me as an artist and something i like to play with and not necessarily be confined by this kind of notion of being one gender hmm
1: so does that mean you don't use the pronoun her or she then or
0: well yeah exactly exactly i like to use the term pronoun term they or them but i'm not offended if someone calls me she it's just what i prefer so i guess okay. i'm thinking about the media art episode that i did uh about a week back and i spoke briefly with kai plant a local artist who's making podcasts and Uh, Part of that conversation about being non-binary, I didn't get a chance to add into the media art episode, so I'd really like to share it with you before we start this episode.
1: Yeah, sounds great.
2: Ever since I was a kid, I've just not felt uh, right in my body, and I felt always really weird about that, but... I guess as I've been growing up or whatever the fuck that is, <laughs> I've realized that like, oh, just because I have a male body doesn't mean I have to identify as male. Ge- like gender and sex are not, like biological sex are not one and the same. What else I should say is that the thing that I like about the idea of non-binary is um, when I first came out or whatever you want to call it, it was, I, it was reactive, so, um, if I'm not gonna identify as male, then I have to go to the other end of the spectrum and I have to be more female and and I have to like present myself as female in order for people to take me seriously. And as I kind of calmed down a little bit in just my head, uh, I realized that just like, that's not what I want and that's just perpetuating the idea of the gender binary. And for me, I think that gender is both fluid and a spectrum. So there's not one or the other, and there's so many variations. And uh, I think that's like the most liberating thing about being alive right now.
3: Uh, My name is Wynne Neely i'm 25. i just moved to victoria from toronto um my artist identification i guess would be a photographer and visual artist um working mainly with photographic based work but also dabbling in sound and objects and kind of working on how a complete installation can sort of work together in those bits and pieces. Working a lot with, um, well I'm fascinated by gender and identity and portraiture is what I'm mostly into. Um, I think, hmm, what else do I say? (laughs) Um, Right now, I'm working on a couple projects, one of which is kind of an ongoing project that is at its sort of almost three-year birthday, which is my project called uh, Female to Male, male in quotes. Um, So that project is a self-portrait project, um based on my trans identity and kind of exploring my physical transformation and also so that project has a lot of different bits and pieces with objects and sort of relics if you will and um audio so it's a kind of a multimedia piece um so i'm kind of just tracking myself as i change physically and mentally and in all aspects of my life so i didn't there's no really end date to that project so that's kind of ongoing um and i actually just finished shooting a project called the 10x10 portrait project which is a project based out of toronto and curated by an artist named james fowler out of toronto um so it's basically um an annual project and each year 10 new queer identified photographers take uh 10 portraits of Canadian queer artists so kind of like giving people that platform to express themselves and yeah so that's what I'm working on right now
0: Talking about how this is going to be an ongoing project. Mm-hmm. So the project began was like, how often are the photos? How often did they happen in the beginning mm-hmm. and how often do they kind of go on now?
3: Yeah, so I started taking Polaroids every week. Um, I do my shot every week on Fridays, my testosterone shot. So I was doing them on Fridays with that um, point that I would... Um, give myself my injection and so that kind of like created a routine for me that I enjoyed Um, and then it kind of got to the point where it was becoming a little monotonous because um, a lot of physical changes happen really fast and right away and sort of at the two-year mark you know things are obviously still changing but not so much for a camera to see and for that type of Um, installation Uh, so I've kind of just I don't really have a schedule now for them because I haven't really figured out what works best Um, I kind of just take them when I remember and when I feel it's important Um, yeah I kind of it died off but I'm not not producing the images they're just not there isn't so much a need for them in that timeframe of like weekly. So I'm kind of interested to see, I think it'll start start to turn into more of like a, every couple months and then like one a year kind of thing. Cause I think that creates sort of an interesting timeline to see everything happen at once and sort of like, you know, aging, which I'm really interested to keep track of. It's one of those things where like i could never imagine myself as an adult because like you know how could i imagine my life when it didn't when i wasn't happy or it didn't make sense to me or i you know so i don't even know like what i'm gonna be like as like an adult man so i think i'm really fascinated to see like how i age with this project and sort of like what that does visually to the installation. Yeah. We first
0: started talking. Yeah. And your project was mm-hmm. called Female to Male in mm-hmm. Quotes. Okay. And so, what is why in quotation
3: yeah. marks? So. I think that the way that people in society see trans identities is very black and white, so to speak. There's just so many variations on gender identity. Even for people who are straight and don't really think they vary from their the sex or gender that they were assigned at birth with, but people have so many variations. So I think I wanted to just kind of mess with that idea a little bit. And I think anytime that society sees someone who is born into a quote unquote female body changing into a more masculine figure, you're automatically assumed to be like female to male, point A to point B period. So I think putting male in quotes is interesting to me because it kind of distorts that notion a little bit. Um, And I don't really identify as being male. So I think putting male in quotes is kind of my way of just making it confusing and complicated, which is exactly what I am. So there's a stigma around gender identity and like what being male is and what being female is so I think putting quotes around male kind of deconstructs that a little bit and I kind of like that it's been interesting the feedback I've gotten about that because I think queers who see my project let's say an article about it or something they'll see that title and they think that the person who wrote it put quotes around male as if it's like derogatory as if like I'm not a real man kind of thing but really I'm the one who did that so I've (laughs) people get like angry about that but really it's it's my intention and I want that to kind of people to think about that and go huh and like flip it on its head a little bit Mm -hmm. yeah and I think it's yeah because my gender and identity is sort of ever-evolving I I don't want it to be point A to point B, you know? That would be my explanation for that.
0: Um, I'm curious about some of the other aspects of the mm-hmm. project. Mm-hmm. Like for instance, what, were you able to capture your psychological place at all?
3: Yeah, I think a lot of the surfacey stuff of the project is super physical um, and that's why I want to show this work as much as I can because I think the in-person viewing of the installation is really important for the work. There's only so much you can translate online and through stuff on your website. Um, but I think there's a really interesting conversation between the Polaroids and how my body, body is physically changing and then the sort of wall of documents I have that show what state I was in. Um, like I have a letter from my mom in there, a letter from my grandpa, a letter from like my ex-girlfriend um, and letters from therapists. And they all kind of follow a timeline so you can really travel with me through that process. It kind of starts with my name change and um, me having had top surgery and kind of how everything unfolded through that. And these documents kind of represent the barriers and the obstacles that, you know, um, healthcare in Canada and stuff. It's just, it's complicated. So I think seeing the letters from doctors, my testosterone prescriptions, and then the letters I get and kind of the way they unfold speaks a lot about my mental state and about the more emotional stuff when you're sort of in the space and kind of collecting all these things at once. Yeah, I think the vulnerability, which is unintentional on my end, is what speaks the loudest to people seeing it. Because to me, I mean, I'm super objective with it. It's a timeline for me, and it's kind of clinical to me and very just tracking. Um, But I guess to other people, there's more of an emotional tie to it. that just blows me away every time I hear someone talk about it like that because I'm like oh wow yeah I guess that makes sense (laughs) but I mean I just had a show at the University of Arizona in January and this has happened a couple times but this is more recent so I did an artist talk there and then there was like the public opening and this probably couple in their 60s came up to me and they were just they were like wow yeah my daughter, she just came out as queer, and this is so cool, It was just asking me a lot of questions, and they were so supportive, and it's just so powerful to see parents that aren't even queer-identified come, or just like people, the, the web can spread so far, which is what I hope for in it. If I can speak to someone who is in some sort of power, powerful position, whether they are in the healthcare profession if they work for the government if they work for you know any any type if they're a teacher if they're if they have trans or queer identified kids those those are the people that I want to see it so that they can you know pass along this new information Online mediums are really cool in that it gets the work out there to people who maybe can't access the work physically, but I just think it's really important for people to see art, you know? Mm
0: Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. You can really be immersed.
3: Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting being an active artist in 2016 where... There's obviously a lot of physical art, but there's also a lot of stuff online and a lot of stuff just even with having all these articles and stuff about me online, it's now it's over and kind of like every everyone's moved on to the next online thing about trans people, you know. It's like constantly changing all the time, you know. I just want people to sit in the installation and kind of pause and take it in instead of reading a quick five minute thing about me on the internet and then moving on to the next thing. Because I, not to say my story is more important than anybody else's, but I just, there isn't a lot of physical installations of trans art. There's a lot of like trans artists and a lot of um, stories and articles, of course, and like a lot of stuff in the media, but I, I just want there to be like more conceptual pieces, because I think those mm-hmm. go a long way and add a lot to the conversation.
0: As I understand it, you actually had uh, some of the hormone needles, like mm-hmm. the injection needles in mm-hmm. there. and
3: All my needles I use, I keep them, and then I... Every single one? Every single one.
0: <laughs> wow. How yeah, many like, is there? I'm,
3: um... probably but somewhere in the 150 yeah it's got to be around there because i think when i because each polaroid i label with which number shot it was and i think a couple months ago it was like 125 fish so it should be like 150 now almost wow. so yeah my plan is to just keep collecting them and just the box that i show them and we'll just get bigger and bigger and more full yeah, I just I think it's interesting. It creates like a presence of I yeah, it just shows another side to what transitioning is entails and I think it's interesting to see the like weight that that carries seeing all the needles in a box and like yeah, like yeah, it's this process and it's Yeah, it takes time and it builds up and yeah, it's interesting to see it. It creates quite a figure in the installation.
0: Yeah, I can imagine it getting like as tall as you.
3: Yeah, hopefully one day. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know where I'm going to put them all in my apartment, but (laughs) I'll figure that out when the time comes. (laughs) Yeah. My um, thesis project in university, I um, shot and documented other people um, and was focused on other people's identities and stuff. I think in conjunction with exploring myself, I was kind of using other people to gather this visual information about identity and stuff. So it's no mystery to me photographing other people and stuff. So I was super happy to get outside of my sort of self, self-absorbed self <laughs> um, self-portrait project for a bit and kind of get something else going, get other juices flowing. And when I moved out here, I at around the same time that I was offered a place with this project, I decided to move out here. So I was kind of talking with the curator and he was like, you know what, this is kind of an awesome opportunity for you. You'll get to meet you'll be forced to meet people out there, you know, which is awesome um, and sort of make some connections with the queer art scene, which is really important to me. And I left a huge queer art scene in Toronto, which I was very much tied to and um, attached to. I, so I think it's good, good for me to meet new people and get outside of my (laughs) antisocial headspace that I can get into. So yeah, it's been really fun. I actually just finished the last portrait yesterday.
0: I know that The word queer seems to mean something different for everyone, Mm -hmm. so I'm wondering what it means for you.
3: Cool. I like this question. (laughs) I've asked this question many times to other people too, so it's a good one. Um, I think my identity is so ever-changing. and. It hasn't really been the same for a very long period of time for me, ever. Um, I don't think I've reached a point where I really fully understand myself. So, I think queer kind of describes many aspects of my life. It describes my gender and it describes my sexuality. Um, and I've kind of gotten to a point in my life where, like, being someone who is trans, um, what i expect from other people being attracted to me is that my gender doesn't really matter and they're seeing me for who i am so i think i've kind of come to realize that i can't really like place those expectations on myself when i see other people and that doesn't necessarily mean that's the same for everyone there's a lot of trans people who identify as straight or gay or bi or whatever but i think for me it's just like i just don't really because my gender is so all over the place, I just don't really see the point in creating those boundaries for myself. So I think queer is probably the closest word I could find to describe myself in those ways, you know? hmm Yeah. And I think, I mean, if I were to just label myself, I usually say, like, I'm a queer a trans person or a trans guy. And I think it's important for me to state that i'm trans because my like queer visibility is very minimal so i like to be open and out about that so i can you know connect with people and find community and stuff Mm -hmm. yeah
0: which is very important
3: very important (laughs)
0: On April 23rd, 2016, the Victoria Idlewise Club in James Bay was transformed for six hours and the 300 plus people with tickets left the city to enter into another world that put the League of Lady Wrestlers in the center of the ring for the Velvet Rut Rumble.
1: Do do do.
0: The League is made up of artists from various cultural backgrounds living on Vancouver Island and the British Columbia mainland. They all collaborated to craft their performances in the spirit of spectacle, sports, humor, and the democratization of art. I had the chance to catch up with one of the founders and organizers of the West Coast League of Lady Wrestlers, Margaret Bowes, who describes the humble beginnings of this project. <laughs>
4: um, so the League of Lady Wrestlers started in Dawson City in August 2013. Um, and it was started by Avin O'Grady who is the original founding member of the LLW and it started with um, some ideas that were festering one winter watching a bunch of WWE videos um, in a lonely winter in Dawson and I was actually on a canoe trip in August and I had stumbled um, into Dawson I think it was It was was like August 1st, and I arrived on August 1st, and Aubin, one of the first things she said to me was, Margaret, we're starting an all-women's wrestling league. Do you want in? And I was like, oh, my God, yes. I have no idea what that means, but of course. And we started a little Facebook group and started talking about our characters. Um, Aubin gathered uh, 60 tires from the dump and some rotting plywood, and some foam duct tape and other f- supplies that we found at the dump and we just made a wrestling ring in our backyard in our house called the hobo mansion which is a two-story log cabin with about five bedrooms that is falling apart just about everywhere there's a few holes in the windows there's no running water there's no electricity and uh, there's two wood stoves that are very inefficient so it's completely unlivable in the winter um, and it's kind of always lived in by artists and it has uh, compiled um, rotting artwork from the past ten years of people passing through so it's a uh, we nicknamed it the hobo mansion um, yeah and so we called the first match the hobo showdown And so the League has slowly evolved from this backyard DIY art project brawl into something that is a little bit more refined and has turned into a pretty large scale production. Um, And all of this kind of success that we've had have been accidents really, that uh, had no idea that it would get this big um, or that it would become so political and that we'd make some enemies or anything really. We didn't even think it was feminism at the time. We just thought it was this really fun project. Um, So it's, yeah, that's our history thus far. And so the West Coast chapter, is uh, starting in Victoria, um, mostly because I think the art community here is a very accessible art community in the same spirit of Dawson. That I think it's pretty impossible to start in many cities across Canada. And Toronto felt like it was um, a pretty impossible place to start as well. But since there were so many people living in Dawson who also live in Toronto, that it, it felt very accessible there as well. So Victoria, there's like there's only three people um, Dawsonites who are involved in the league that are involved in our sister league now. Um, but at the same time, it feels like there's there's more generated interest in a small community such as Victoria that that makes it accessible to start here.
1: The West Coast Sister League of the League of Lady Wrestlers features 15 wrestlers from this area and two from Dawson City, some with signature moves that they performed in the wrestling ring.
0: For all the spectators of the Velvet Rut Rumble, the MCs and announcers were a trio that delivered the play-by-plays of all the shiny and slimy moments of each of the matches. They were made up of Juniper Jack, Auntie Alimony, and Tranny Cyborg.
1: Inspired by the spectacle that is inherent to professional wrestling, they are an art collective formed in celebration of feminine identities and subversion of traditional gender roles and expectations. The event featured seven matches.
4: I feel like what our league is about is not much different than WWE in the 90s, where it's this kind of really funny unapologetic humor mixed with these long sagas behind each character and this stage violence that is obviously very fake but at the same time I think with our league our our stories are far more elaborate and I think we're touching on various aspects of history relating to women and femmes types or like women identifying um, but also I think it's, it's so much more performative. And so I think it's hard to say like exactly what art is, but we're, we're calling it art. We've called it art from the very beginning. We've called it like a performance piece.
0: All right, I have an idea. Let's introduce the wrestlers together, Harold, by announcing each of the matches at the be really fun for our listeners if we were to weave some of their voices and recollections into our announcing. I'm gonna do my best Mortal Kombat voice. Match one.
1: Dawson City League of Lady Wrestler Punk Asso
0: versus Dawson City League of Lady Wrestler Annie Goodfellow.
5: I remember sitting down and watching the first fight, which was Pancaso and Annie Goodfellow. I had a couple drinks, but I remember sitting down and looking up at the stage and just being like, this is the coolest thing I'll ever be a part of for the rest of my life. Like I was just, I was so wowed at the production quality. Everything came together. Any last minute things that weren't working, like everybody just pulled it all together. It was, it was so amazing and, and impressive. I feel really proud to be a part of it.
6: It was also like Halloween on steroids. Everyone was so enthusiastic about their costumes, and so everybody looked great. Match two.
1: Anaconda, with the help of crotch light. Signature moves, the labia smack, and her blinding death beam of laser light current originating from her crotch.
0: Versus Hag the Crispy.
6: I think that my favorite costume slash my favorite entrance was Anacondo. Me too. Yeah. Anacondo, the snake realtor, she came out and she was dressed in what was basically a sleeping bag made out of like snakeskin lycra, and she was carried on stage around the shoulders by her manager, so that her manager like walked her all the way around the wrestling ring and then placed her down on the wrestling ring, and then she slithered out of her snakeskin (laughs)
5: It, uh, while, yeah, she was slithered out of the snakeskin like sleeping bag, and then underneath that, she had on a snakeskin onesie and with like with a, with a blazer on. And the, and the song on. that she came out to was I, I came, I, what is it, that Racking wrecking ball, ball song by um, Miley, Cyrus. Miley Cyrus, but it was all slowed down. Like wrecking I came in like a wrecking, wrecking ball. ball. It was so funny. She, was, yeah, that was that was my favorite entrance.
0: Match three
1: Gene Sponda Signature Move
0: Losing Slime versus Steel Kegel signature move the Hymen maneuver.
6: I'm Steel Kegel Pro Wrestler slash abstinence educator.
5: Hi, um, my character is Jean Sponda. She is an extraterrestrial extra <clears throat> Extraterrestrial—it's a mouthful. Um, she's from the ninth planet. She's an aquatic alien.
6: My first line of my speech when I came out was, "Thank you all for coming so much tonight."
5: <laughs> no, it was coming. Pause. So much tonight. Thank, thank only, you all for only coming. Half the audience so got much that. tonight. Yeah, that I know. That was good, though. I like that. It was subtle. <laughs> yeah.
1: Match four! Macho Ham. Signature moves? The Hammer, the Tenderizer, and the Meat Cleaver.
0: Versus. Quagga Muscle. Finishing move? Kaggle Muscle Clench.
4: Hello, I'm Leia Tess. My character is Quagga Muscles. Quagga Muscles is a relatively new character that I'm still in the process of forming. She was born out of. This feeling of uncertainty and confusion around ideas of invasive species, fear of immigration, and the reality of borders and nationalism. Match five!
1: Ursa Major. Signature moves the Big Dipper and Orion's Belt.
7: Versus Medusa. My human name is Julie Janai, and my wrestling name is Medusa, uh, like douche and Medusa combined, um, which maybe informs my character a little bit, but basically it's this villainous, wrath-filled, mythical character who has endured a lot of sexual injustices and is just filled with rage and sort of has the target of using her powers and skills to take down all womanizing douchebags, but kind of also just everybody. So sometimes gets caught up in doing bad things to good people too. Medusa, girl of many
6: talents, one who knew that one of her secret talents is sewing. She just showed up in this incredible, incredible outfit, Uh, this gymnastic onesie with like a snake hat. And she had made it all herself, and it had a vagina on the front of it, like very intricate just vagina, a giant vagina that was like all across her stomach. And if you, there was even like a clitoral hood that you could pull up, and there was a little clitoris underneath.
5: Yeah, we were all getting ready, and she said, "Hey, you guys
6: want to see my clit?" We we're like, "We want to see it!" <laughs> and then she showed us. <laughs> uh, she fought Ursa Major.
5: Yeah.
6: And, um, that was a really good fight. They were the ones that got into the wrestling the most. I think everyone had different things that they prepared well in advance or, like, dreamed of doing well. And their thing was that their whole wrestling thing was like a ballet. It was crazy how well choreographed it was. Really well choreographed. They practiced a lot. And and it showed.
0: Match 6!
1: Black Widow.
0: Signature move? case. versus Shaina. Signature move: facial dry hump with her manager, the Backwoods Breeder.
4: I'm Margaret Bose, and my character is the Black Widow. And I'm one of the founding members of the original league in Dawson City, and also one of the founding members of the Toronto Sister League. And. I guess now one of the founding members of the West Coast League. So my character, Black Widow, is a fairly new character to the league. My original character um, died in India of a heart attack. She um, is a cold yoga instructor, and she went to this yoga capital in India and got really frustrated with um, the blissed-out white hippies with dreadlocks, and she had a heart attack. So my new character is this spider woman that is like this misunderstood representation of the fetishization of independent women all throughout history. So she is referencing the stories of Jorogumo and Arachne most recently in pop culture, the Spinatod, which is a grim kind of character. So she she kind of embodies like all these terrifying aspects of independence and spinsterhood into this like flesh eating monster. So it's, it's kind of uh, perpetuating a lot of these stereotypes. So that's like one thing I struggle with this character, but also something that in my act aim to kind of subvert, but also perpetuate in another villainous way as well.
7: Match stabbing
1: Pandora death. Box.
0: Versus In a Demon. Signature moves. Rock bottom. Crying in the fetal position.
8: Um, my character's In a Demon. It's sort of based on all this shit I've been going through and sort of the idea of making your mess public and being loud and apologetic and not hiding any of the shit you're going through. And it's been fun just like evolving the character because when I initially came into this, I had a totally different idea. And then just through this party we were going to, where Margaret's so into dressing and costume for everywhere we go, and I just wasn't feeling the costume. I was like, my life is trash. I might as well wear a garbage bag. And then I did, and then it was just so good. When people were like, what are you? And I was just, the reaction on their faces, I was like, I have to keep going with this. Everyone is so uncomfortable that I need to push it more. So yeah, I'm definitely into the, re- the the like awkward reactions from people.
1: The event also featured wrestler sensitive shatters signature move, Christer baiting.
0: Besides the wrestlers, there were others that were seduced by the freakish and non-complacent nature of the lady wrestlers one of them being Furious Featherbrain, who joins the league with their belt bag packed with glitter and belly full of giggles, who cause mischief throughout the event.
3: During
1: the halftime show, Bad Boy For You performed. No one knew who he was, but he insisted on playing a few songs on his guitar car signature move message him and find out uh.
9: my name is grant hash aka bad boy for you bad boy for you is uh, an uninvited guest to the match who um sees it as a really great opportunity to pick up girls seeing as how it's uh it's kind of this this spectacle filled with women and um is uh, planning on taking over the stage at some point to play a song for everybody to sort of try to swoon the audience oh and also um, an opportunity to promote his OK Cupid account <laughs> um,
4: but also Bad Boy for is like this representation of like every unaware male yeah for sure I think also your character is an interesting one in considering our of the League because there have been no male characters or like no, no cis men participating in the League and like representing like a male character before so you are the first who've like come forward with a character idea where it's like you're, you're contributing as an ally in this feminist production and presenting the problems with male privilege which I think is a very brave character as well
9: Yeah, Bad Boy For You is definitely a sort of a reaction for myself against frustration with all these men that I see around who really don't consider their privilege at all and see women as a resource. It's it's a really kind of problematic character for me because he's such an easy character to play because he's actually just such a normal guy there's so many examples of him everywhere. Being a, a cis male, I don't have to reach very far to embody him, so it's kind of a little bit of an uncomfortable role to play. But I think it's, it's, a, it's a pretty important one. I'm sort of trying to push this character that's so common into the realm of the Buffon, which is like this clown that makes fun of the public by just being kind of really gross and disgusting, but sort of mirroring aspects of public life where people laugh at the clown, but they're also sort of laughing at themselves. At, at our fundraiser party, people were confused about why this obnoxious dude bro was at the party, not realizing that I was I was in character and kind of playing it up. One of the really exciting things about this project is that it's collaborative, and it's kind of really chaotic, and, and that so many people are involved without any oversight of a central director or choreographer or anything. So there definitely is a plan, but it's a plan that's coming from many different sources. And there's still a lot of room for surprises. Also, the fact that people are coming from all different kinds of backgrounds. Probably just about everybody has some sort of artistic practice, but they're not necessarily in performance art or theater or anything like that.
7: Yeah, I was super thankful to work. Ria Fenger, also known as Ursa Major, was my wrestling partner. And, of course, everything we did was scripted, and we knew who would win and how and all the moves we would do. But what I loved about working with her is, A, that we had a similar desire to really wrestle. Like, we both really wanted to get into it and weren't so concerned with the narrative of our match, Whereas different wrestlers took different approaches, some were more interested in having a story of why the fight was happening, things like this. And Rhea and I did take care of that, but we prioritized wrestling. And yeah, and also Rhea is at a similar level of physicality that I am, and was at a similar level of being okay to, because inevitably you do get a little bit hurt, even though all the moves are pretty much fake. Yeah, so she and I were able to go places and do things that I don't think I could have done with just anyone. It was very physical. (laughs) Um, I think with Rhea and I, one thing that I, like, I guess I got to reawaken my passion for choreography, first of all, which sometimes I neglect, but I really love choreographing things. And also, I think inevitably, whoever's doing whatever, their past experiences are going to bleed into whatever they're working on. So for me in this case, because I had spent so much time doing acrobatics and doing physical comedy, and especially with clowning, there was a lot of clown influence within our wrestling performance. We weren't,
5: we weren't <laughs> original partners at the beginning. Like I was teamed up with Leia, who's Quagga Muscle, and... Um, I was teamed up with Macho Ham. Yeah. Christine yeah because I had a concussion we were I was with Kay and she was talking to Christine about her idea and and Christine wasn't really comfortable with Kay wanted to be like her character to be seduced and that would be like her downfall and Christine wasn't comfortable with that and I was like oh I can do that
6: (laughs) yeah my superpower is my virginity but it helps the seduction was made a lot less awkward by the fact that space aliens actually mate by spitting slime into each other's mouths
5: Yeah, we were talking about how we were going to go about the seduction and I was like, my mom and my
6: brothers are coming to watch this. I don't really want to like... I don't don't think either of us wanted it to be like super sexy or anything. Yeah, I didn't want it to be
5: sexual. I just I was like, well, aliens seduce in all different kinds of ways. So my seduction was, or like my alien mating dance was just kind of me having some form of crazy seizure. And then I just grabbed her face and spat slime in her mouth.
7: <laughs> it's such a spectacle. I don't know. It was like streamers and balloons and sparkly confetti things and trophies. <laughs> but done with this backbone of what I feel is a pretty obvious social agenda. And I, from what I've heard in feedback from the event, it, that seems obvious to other people too. Yeah, I think there's maybe a general theme of anti-oppression, but the ways that people chose to address that were totally different. I would say mine totally is about pretty classic feminist conceptions, or concepts, rather. Yeah, just how appalling it is that rape culture is able to exist and persist and quite honestly thrive in at least the culture that I live in. Or, like, victim blaming, and how often it's the victims of especially sexual abuse or sexual harassment. It's in those situations, it's often the victim who comes out with more uh, social flack for what they've been through.
6: It was the most fun and ridiculous event that Victoria has seen in a really long time, and yet all of the humor was really, really feminist. And that was really interesting. And I was actually pleasantly surprised by how well that was received. I mean... That was exciting. Perhaps it shouldn't have been a surprise because, you know, we live in Victoria and it's this little lefty island that's, you know, a stronghold for the NDP and da-da-da-da-da. Where is it going to be NDP or Greens this election season? That kind of thing. But in
5: terms of types of entertainment, it's not really widespread. Just girls being, like, raunchy
6: and gross. Not just girls, like, everyone... All of us were. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean I women for me, like the feminism of it definitely goes beyond just girls can be raunchy and gross. To me, a lot of it was the plots, um, and the character development. A lot of people were exploring gender related issues within that. But in this really funny way. I didn't feel like the whole vibe of the night was that people were being preached to, but it was more just a bunch of people laughing together that happened to share this certain worldview or these concerns, you know? So, like, Anacondo um, was matched against Hagatha Crispy, who is this, like, old lady who was better house on the match and, like, wanted to save her neighborhood. And then we all just watched Anaconda just beat the crap out of her. And it was super sad. <laughs> yeah, <she's laughs> but it's, it's kind of funny because it's true. You know, all of us can relate to the gentrification story, right? <laughs> And so in the case of our match, there were a couple subplots or like a couple like themes that we thought about as we were going. One is that there is no, well first of all there's like the obvious, my character is basically a parody of the bizarrely sexual nature of abstinence education and the the evaluation of a girl's abstinence is actually this really strangely hypersexual thing so that was sort of what my character was constantly parodying with my manager who was my overbearing daddy who took me to a purity ball and like all of this stuff <laughs> and then there's also this idea that the seduction was femme on femme and the sex didn't look, you know, like penis and vagina intercourse so there's this notion that sex is whatever to people might experience it as. And that's a very queer thing. So that was something that we talked about. And then there's also my superpower was my virginity, right? So the seduction was a bit of a slimy move by Gene Sponda, the slime monster. (laughs) And we talked a lot about consent and how we didn't want it to be a, a story about a rape. Not because stories about rape should never be told. We just didn't want to do that. But nonetheless, it was the story about some consensual sex that was slimy and coercive. As that happens, we, we got to talk about all those issues uh, as, as we were developing a plot. And I think every pair thought about the themes like that. And that was pretty interesting. It was absolutely not a night that had the vibe of people humming and hawing and being like, look at the thick. I don't know, it, it still managed to be super lighthearted. And it was cool that 400 people were able to come out and get rowdy
7: for that. For the finale, every single wrestler got in the ring, and we had a big showdown. And most of that wasn't scripted, which was great. And so the person who won that was Rhea, also known as Ursa Major, um, which was so great to see her win. She was just like beaming and totally deserved it with her mauling of everything. Sort of Okay, so this funny thing happened where one of the performers was kept smashing bottles, and I thought they were real glass bottles, and I was appalled. Like, I was like, you do not do that on stage. And it was someone who was an out-of-town performer who had come and joined us, so I didn't know them very well, and didn't realize that these bottles they had were actually made of sugar. They were like candy bottles that you can buy for super lots of money and you can smash them on stage and they're not actually dangerous. And another character was throwing around bacon bits and another character had like green slime coming out of her backpack apparatus. And so it was messy to me. It was uh I don't want to get injured or covered in gross things, glass that is not actually glass that I found out after the fact, (laughs) bacon bits and green (laughs) slime. This is like some weird, freaky nightmare. But also kind of one of those things that's like, okay, I've committed to this. I just gotta go with it. (laughs) Yeah, I loved. The opportunity to fight with other wrestlers that I hadn't worked with before in a physical way, like hadn't tried to take down their bodies while they're trying to take down my body, and I mean, all bodies have such different capabilities. Like people who are lighter or more wiry are easier to pick up. People who are like more built or strong can pick you up more easily. It was just fun to, it was like a jungle gym of interaction. (laughs) (laughs) Slash take down.
5: (laughs) I, I learned a lot about gender politics. I remember in our first meeting when we all sat down, Margaret said, why don't you introduce yourself and say what pronoun you like to use. That's not really like, a big part of my circle, I guess, because I have a lot of cisgendered friends, and that was a nice learning experience for me, and it still is, and it's nice to be exposed to just all different types of people that like, I don't even I don't know that's just not part of my circle, but now it is, and I'm pretty stoked on it.
4: I think um that this is about a relocation of power, this whole project. And traditionally, when women are represented in any sort of performative project, it's usually with these layered sexualizations that kind of appeal to the male gaze. And, And our project is exactly that opposite. So I think a lot of the haters have kind of seen that in our interviews and our online presence. And have made these sorts of comments of how unappealing and unattractive this whole project is or that we are and which to me is is perfect all of those online hater comments is like this is exactly why we're doing this and this is exactly why this is important and why this needs to happen even if it's the same thing over and over again and it's old news to all of us but it's still such a problem that needs to be addressed
0: I asked Margaret about an article that was posted on the CBC website that was written on the League of Lady Wrestlers and how people had responded to it.
4: CBC comments? (laughs) Well, I found they weren't at all surprising to me because I know that on CBC online posts, there are quite a few conservative trollers that are just they're the ones who are leaving those awful comments, and really no one's gonna take the time to write something positive, usually. Yeah, so I was kind of, um, I wasn't surprised, and CTV called me a day after the the online post and requested an interview, and asked me if we could be filmed on a wrestling ring for one of their TV programs. I said we didn't have a wrestling ring, and they suggested that we contact Vancouver Island Pro Wrestlers. And without kind of getting too far into it, I basically said that wasn't an option because they were not interested in supporting us whatsoever. And CTV, the 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 man who who had phoned me, had said, "Well, you know, you you know that you're doing something right if you're pissing off some white dudes," which I, I thought was really awesome. <laughs> but yeah, the vancouver island pro wrestlers I, i'm not quite sure why they're so upset with us probably because they're following a tradition of misogyny in wrestling and yeah they told us that we were violating their sacred space which was quite a strong statement claiming that they they owned the the scene here i think my favorite comment on the the cbc article was just i can't remember who it was who posted it but He said, just the kind of girl you want to take home to meet, Mom. And I was like, of course.
1: (laughs) Okay, so I think that I would be... hmm, uh, I think I would be something like Mr. Fixer. Yeah? (laughs) Oh, yeah. I'm Mr. Fixer. I can fix anything. Let me clean your Pipe, baby, I'm Mr. Fixer. You know? That, are, that's, are you
0: friends with Bad Boy for you?
1: You know, we got, we got a different, uh, definite, definite uh, correlations in our, in our personas, I, I suppose. But uh, it really just comes down to just the ability to fix anything you want. That's what I can do. I just because that's just me i'm a man i can i can fix your
0: amazing i can fix
1: your toilet i can fix your emotional situation i can uh you know fix you up when you're feeling kind of uh down
0: my gag reflex is really kicking in now
1: i can pretty much do things that y- you couldn't so i can just do oh that i couldn't
0: wow i could just do it better
1: you know? I can just... Wow. Well, because I'm mister Fixer, right? That's all. Uh,
0: from oh. a rainy... Rainy...
1: Mm-hmm. What, what wrestler are you supposed to be, huh, Katie?
0: Well, my wrestler name is Kitty Soggy. And, uh, you know, if you, you need a fuzzy shoulder to cry on, then... I'm your
1: kitty. Your little kitty? Yeah, hi little kitty. Oh, so you're quite a ferocious little kitty.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Why yes. Don't don't mess with this kitty. I may be a bit soggy, but you know, I have many Layers. Mm.
1: (laughs) Okay. Nice. Well,
0: I'd like to think that uh, as a kitty soggy, I you know have the ability to shift at any moment, much like a cat, where you're you're you know they're purring on your lap and having a good time, and then all of a sudden, they switch, Mm. they change, they bite you and run away.
1: So how do you think it would go between Mr. Fixer and Kitty Soggy in the rink? In the ring? In the the ring.
0: Well, I think that my signature move, the left swipe with my sharp claws, would probably take your iris down. Really? Yeah.
1: But then I'd I'd probably use my signature move, put a wrench in it where only men should be, be doing the speaking. So, you know, when it comes to getting things fixed right up, um, I'm kind of the authority on the matter. And when it comes to getting work done in the ring, I suggest you just put a wrench in it and stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry
0: yeah. Was that too much? <laughs> um, I'm riding right the edge here. Yeah, you're you're really uh in this, like full on, I, you know, I think it's like, are we subverting or are we, you know, perpetuating a stereotype?
1: Right, I'm not exactly sure.
0: I think through. Taking uh, the character to the point of absurdity is subversion. Because you get to that point where you're laughing, and maybe you kind of connect with a part of that, but then it makes you think.
1: Okay, so does that mean I need to be more absurd?
0: Maybe. I guess that's up to you and what your uh, character wants to bring to the ring. Huh.
1: Wow. Wow, this, this whole league of lady wrestlers is really thought-provoking. I learned a lot in this episode.
0: Yeah. Gender... Gender is a very playful medium, clearly.
1: Oh, yeah. I'm mean, play with this persona, Mr. Fixer. And maybe one day, Mr. Fixer and Kitty Soggy might have a little showdown one day.
0: Yeah, I'll see you in the ring. Ding, ding.
1: I'm scared.